Well, I welcome all of you today to uh, worship. We're so glad you've made the choice to uh, be here at one of our various locations, one of our congregations where people from all over the capital region and really beyond come together. We're so glad you're here. Well, God's people were being bullied, to be honest about it, and they were afraid. There was two groups of people, really, two groups, ruthless uh, barbarians, the Amalekites and the Midianites. I know those are weird names, but they were real, and they had been oppressing the Hebrew people, or what we call the Israelites. In fact, they were so scared of these folks that they were actually hiding in caves and holes in the ground to out of fear for their lives. So let me ask you today, as we get started, what tends to make you afraid? The latest major study done on fear is called the Chapman University Survey on American Fears. You can look it up easily, just Google that. And it has some very interesting results. it was released just a few months ago. There's, there's tons of websites that deal with these results. And they found, just as I said last weekend, guess what? Number one on the list is the fear of public speaking. That's still number one. People fear things like little critters, like bugs and spiders and things like snakes. But this study goes much deeper. It gets into belief systems, political persuasions, lifestyles, and so on. Can you believe it? They actually found that Democrats tend to be more fearful than Republicans. I don't know what to make of that, but you look it up yourself. You can see what it says. It also says that there are some things that contribute to people's fears. For instance, they found that education level can be one factor in fear. Those with a lower education level tend to be more fearful. Also, they discovered that TV watching affects it, especially if you watch a lot of talk shows or true crime type shows. You tend to be more fearful. So let me ask you again, what are you afraid of? Henry David Thoreau said, nothing is so much to be feared as fear. Well, tucked away in the Old Testament, in the book that's called Judges, chapter 6 and 7, is an amazing story about God helping his people overcome fear. And as we study today and see how God helped Gideon turn his fear into faith and confidence It may be that God will stretch us, that he will challenge us and teach us how we can move from fear to ultimate confidence in him. I think all of us are going to be helped and encouraged by this wonderful lesson from God's word. So let's jump in. Let's get started. Let's start with a simple question. Why was Gideon afraid to begin with? I mean... Unless your fear is utterly irrational, there's usually some reason behind it, right? So why was Gideon so uptight? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of reasons. One is because the enemy was real. This wasn't imaginary. It wasn't irrational. 
for seven years now. These Midianites and Amalekites had been oppressing the people of God. So let's pick the story up today in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, when his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now let's just pause there for a moment and get perspective. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. That's weird. Typically, you threshed wheat out in the open, even up on a high place where there was more wind because you want the wind to blow the chaff away from the wheat. A wine press in that culture was typically a hole in the ground where grapes were crushed. So what's he doing down in there threshing wheat? It's because he was so afraid of the Midianites. He was afraid they might spot him and come and steal his wheat or brutalize him in some way. Now, we always want to be careful and not to allegorize Scripture allegorize the stories where that would be inappropriate. But you know, as I read this, I just can't help but wonder if many of us, perhaps you listening right now, spend much of our lives kind of down in the wine press, so to speak, out of fear of various things. And just like Gideon, we're down in that wine press and we're not experiencing all the joy, all the excitement, all the blessings that God really has for us in this life, all because of fear. Well, if you're kind of down in the proverbial wine press today, I want you to know that just like Gideon, God sees you, he knows where you are, and he knows your fear. Verse 12 reads, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, that's almost humorous because Gideon at this point is anything but a mighty warrior. But here's something that to me, that's very exciting in scripture. If you study all the call stories, whether you're talking about Jesus calling apostles and disciples in the New Testament, whether you're talking about some prophet calling an apprentice to work with him or whatever it is, here's one of the principles you notice in scripture. When God calls a person, he's not looking at who they are now, but at who they can become. And so when this call comes through this angel, mighty warrior, It's not who Gideon was at that moment. He was anything but. But God sees what he can become. And here's exciting news for all of us today. God sees us not just for what we are right now, but our potential. And you may think, wow, I could never do anything great for God. But I want you to know, God knows what he designed you for. He knows the potential you have. He knows what you're capable of. And here's another thing that blows my mind. God often calls people that you would never expect to do jobs you would never believe they could do. It's incredible. And often he calls them not out of the glare of publicity, but out of the gloom of obscurity. So many of the people that God called were kind of in a 
in a bad place, or at least in an obscure place, if not a bad place, when they receive the call from God. That ought to be very encouraging to us. By the way, I, I just paused as I prayed through this message. You know, every week that goes by, I pray through this message every week. Excuse me, every day of the week. And what I pray is that God would take his word and kind of put it in my mouth and then bless all of us through that. And so I pray that every single day of the week. And as I was praying this week, I... I just had an idea. I wonder how many of us, if God had some special assignment, you know, something really awesome that he wanted to kind of tap us on the shoulder, just like he's doing with Gideon here and say, hey, I want you to step up. I've got something great for you. I wonder how many of us could actually hear God's voice because of the crazy, frenetic, ridiculous pace of our life sometimes. God's call often comes in the gloom of obscurity rather than the glare of publicity. And if your life is going so fast, so crazy, so frenetic, if it's so full of noise and stuff, just beware. That's often a real detriment to hearing the guidance and the voice and the nudging of Almighty God. Well, the story goes on, verse 13. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Gideon is respectfully saying, look, it's been hundreds of years since you led Moses And the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage and did all those awesome things. But what have you done for us lately, God? We kind of feel abandoned here. The Amalekites and Midianites are wreaking havoc. Our enemies are having their way. Do you you ever feel like that? Can you identify with Gideon a little bit today? You know, like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling And you hear other Christians talk about how close God is and how wonderful their relationship with God is going. You feel like, God, I'm abandoned here. I'm not experiencing goosebumps and glory every day. You know, I've become convinced through the years that many Christians who feel distanced from God are feeling that way because they've lived with discouragement so long it's just kind of hard for them to feel his presence anymore and to feel like God's really on their side. If you feel that way today, I want you to know you have a word from God in this message. This message is a life changer and God continues to teach me and encourage me personally through this story. It's one of my favorites in all the Bible. So, Let's be blunt blunt about it here. Gideon was afraid because he wasn't convinced God was really going to be with him. It's just as simple as that. And that's precisely where many of us find ourselves. We're going, God, I've heard about awesome things in the past. I've heard about what you've done for others. But I'm just, be honest, God, don't want to offend you. I'm just not convinced you're really going to be with me. Now, I'm no expert on animal training, and I hope you'll pardon this crude illustration. 
But I've read that when people try to train their dog to obey, they often make a fatal mistake. Here's, here's how it goes. They want to train their dog to, to come to them, for instance. So they say, come. But then experts say that, that we make a mistake if we then move toward the dog. Most people do that. They say, come. And then to try to help the dog obey, they, they get closer. And the dog just thinks it's a game. He thinks you're, you're kind of playing his game. And so he's not going to obey when you're coming near anyway. The experts say that if you really want to train your dog, you, you say, come, but then you kind of go the other way. And it will really enhance the dog's motivation to obey. Maybe you cannot feel God's presence because God has called you to come nearer And maybe, just like these Israelite people, God feels so distant, not because God has removed his essential presence, but because he's removed his manifest presence. God is always there. That's what I mean by essential presence. He's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. But that doesn't mean that God's manifest presence, that dynamic power of God is always there. And God is about to train these Israelites to obey by teaching them a lesson through Gideon. But there's another reason Gideon was afraid. Not only was his enemy very real, but second, his own inadequacies were obvious. In his own eyes, he was a nobody. He thought, you got to be kidding. There's no way I could ever do anything great for God. Judges 6 verse 14 reads, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. You ever felt like that? Like you were in over your head? Gideon felt challenged because of his roots and his resources. He didn't have strong roots. His clan, his family wasn't impressive. They weren't a clan of wonderful warriors who'd done great exploits for God. So he kind of felt challenged when it came to his roots, but then his resources were meager because they'd been plundered so often by the enemy, they just didn't have a lot to work with. Verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you. And you'll strike down all the Midianites together. There it is again, that reminder of God's faithful presence. But in spite of that promise, Gideon still struggles with fear. An English teacher came to the high school football coach in her school and said, I've got bad news for you. Biff, your star football player, flunked the vocabulary test big time. I mean, he just got a big fat F on the vocabulary test. He's not going to be able to play this weekend. The coach said, oh, no, that can't be. We've got to find some way to to pass him. The teacher said, rules are rules, and she would have nothing of it. The coach said, but look, you don't understand. Biff, Biff is our key to victory. Biff is... Why, he's stronger than any two other players on the other team put together. This guy doesn't know the meaning of fear. 
Teacher said, that's his problem. There's a lot of other words Biff doesn't know the meaning of, all right? Well, Gideon definitely knows the meaning of fear because his enemy was real and his own inadequacies were obvious, not just to him, but to others. So now let's turn a corner and ask a different question. What lessons helped Gideon to conquer his fear? Because if we're trekking with this story at this point, we're going, that, that's incredible. I mean, how could someone go from being a coward in a wine press to a commander of a victorious army? That's quite a transformation. How could that happen? And how can such a change happen for me? Well, let's spend a few minutes talking about how God did that, how Gideon started moving by God's grace from fear to faith. First of all, Gideon found that facing fear is always easier when we're not alone. When you're a kid, it's easier to face the monsters in your closet if your mom or dad are in your room. It's easier to hear the doctor's report if someone you love is there to hold your hand. And it's easier to walk through the dark if someone is walking with you who knows the way. God gave Gideon's fear a couple of tests here where he was going to realize the value of having others with him. Let's read on. Chapter 6, verse 25. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. Now, what is that all about? This Asherah, or as many people say, Asherah pole, was an object of worship in the Canaanite fertility cult. This meant that there was this forbidden worship going on right within Gideon's very home, his very family. And so God had told the Israelite people that that kind of worship was forbidden to them. He had told them that clearly in their Levitical law, and yet they were doing it anyway. It should not have been there in the first place. So Gideon's basically being asked here to get his own house in order before God is going to help him get out of fear and move on into victory and faith. That must have been hard because that many had to confront, that many had to challenge some of his own kind of family values and practices and, and patterns. And it's important though, because although no family of God is perfect. No one's family is perfect. There's an old saying, if it ain't working at home, don't export it. If it ain't working at home, don't export it. Christianity should work first in your own home. The values of God should first be evident and present and working in our own families. It certainly does help when we begin to face the challenges, the call, the opportunities that God opens to us. But you'll notice as you read this story, if you read it carefully, 
that Gideon didn't go alone with that. He took 10 others with him. And sometimes for you to face your fears, listen, brother or sister in Christ, you're gonna learn that you really need other Christians around you. Can I just tell you something I've noticed? The Christians I've noticed in Grace Fellowship Church who are the strongest, who have the most consistent victory, who tend to vacillate the least in their faith are those that are well-connected to other strong Christians. Hope everybody hears that. The strongest Christians I know in this church are just happen to be the women and men who tend to be well-connected relationship-wise to other strong Christians. They're often in a small group together. They're doing life together. They're facing some of life's toughest giants together. And that's so important. So this first test of getting his own house in order was tough. But the second test God is gonna put before Gideon is even greater. God now says, now go fight these ruthless Midianites. Now remember, the Midianites had struck fear into the hearts of God's people for many years. But one man with a little bit of courage decided to trust and obey and God is gonna use him in a powerful, powerful way. But there's only one little problem before this really begins to come off. Gideon is still nervous because he lived so long with discouragement, so long in fear, he wasn't quite ready to really trust God was gonna be with him. You know, by the way, there's a lesson in that for us. When we've developed years and years of bad habits, don't expect everything to change overnight. Don't expect to go from a vacillating person who lives in fear to one who every day lives in victory without a few setbacks at least. And that's what Gideon is experiencing. So so Gideon kind of puts God to a little test, if you will. He says, God, now, I hope you're okay with this, but I just need some kind of confirmation, some kind of assurance that you're really with me in this. So I'm gonna put this piece of wool, what we call a fleece. I'm gonna put this fleece of wool out on the ground. And God, if you're really in this, could you just kind of pull off a miracle here and just show me? Tomorrow morning, when I go check this piece of wool, this fleece that I've put out, would you please just have the fleece soaked with dew totally wet, and all the ground around it dry. (laughs) Sure enough, the next morning, the fleece was soaked with dew, but all the ground around it was dry. Gideon wrung that fleece out. God had shown him the confirmation. Then he said, Lord, please don't be upset with me on this, but can I ask you for one more favor? Just, Just check in, God, just to be sure. You're really in this that you're asking me to do. Would you just kind of reverse that miracle? Would you just kind of tomorrow morning when I go to check, would you make the fleece totally dry and all the ground around it wet with dew? See, he's still doubting here. He's still got doubt going on. And that night, sure enough, God reversed the miracle. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground around it was covered with dew. Now, just pause there for a moment. This is obviously where we get that phrase, putting out a fleece. If you've been a Christian very long, you've probably heard somebody use that phrase. It's pretty common in Christian circles, the subculture. Putting out a fleece. This is where 
that came from. You say, well, pastor, is that a good thing or not? Well, let me just make a couple of comments. First of all, we, it's become considered a real spiritual thing to put out a fleece. I think we need to remember that originally... Gideon wasn't showing awesome faith when he put out the fleece. He was actually doing it out of doubt. So we just need to be aware of that. So it's not some big sign of faith to put out a fleece. Originally, it was a lack of faith that caused him to do it. Second, I would just warn you about constantly doing fleece type things because it's awfully difficult to discern sometimes between circumstances and an actual move of God, depending on how you coin the fleece with God. But then here's the the final thing, and this is a more positive word, okay? I do believe there are times when it's perfectly okay with God to say, look, God, could you give me some confirmation here? I really would appreciate it. Lord, we're facing this big decision. We're about to make this move. This is coming down. This is happening. God, could you, could you just show me some confirmation here? Now, you don't need that if God's will is clear. But here's the reality, folks. Is if you've walked with Christ very long, you know God's will is not always crystal clear on many of the basic things we face in life. On the big moral issues, it's clear. On the rights and wrongs, those things that are just, you know, slam dunks, that you don't need a fleece. But let me give an example of where I asked for confirmation. Back in the fall of 1992, Grace Fellowship was just a desire in my heart. God had put a desire in my heart years before to start a church. And I was in between jobs, wondering what I was going to do next, living in the capital region, beginning to have some conversations about what my next job was going to be. And I had this deep desire, always had, back, back since college days, to plant a church. I almost did it years before in Louisville, Kentucky, when I was a student there in seminary. I already had a group of people gathered, but then a an opportunity that I felt God was in came along, the the Billy Graham team. And so I I went and did that. So here I was, and I had this desire, but I said, God, I I don't want to do something as awesome, as significant, as challenging as planning a new church if you're not in it. I mean, there's a thousand places around the nation where I could plant a church by your grace, but I, I don't know if the capital district is that place. And just as I was praying that kind of prayer, a dear friend I'd gotten to know in the area called me up and asked me to go to lunch. And at, over lunch, he said, Rex, listen, I've just been praying. I don't know what you're planning to do, but if you would ever be led to start a church in the area, I just want you to know my wife and I sure would love to be a part of that. I said, wow, really? We'd never talked about that before. It never crossed my mind that he would. A few days, I went home and told Deb. She said, you gotta be kidding. Wow, that's, that's awesome. A few days later, another friend, gotten to know in the area, called up, took me out to lunch. Toward the end of the conversation, just almost as an afterthought, by the way, I don't know what God's leading you to do, but if you'd ever feel led to start a church in the area, I want you to know, my wife and I sure would like to be a part of it. We'd, we'd love to join with you and shoulder to shoulder, just help build God's kingdom through a new church. I went home and told Deb. I said, you're not gonna believe what happened. It's like deja vu all over again. Yogi Berra was standing in the corner of the room. 
Somebody, another guy brought this up. That happened two more times. Four guys independent of each other took me out. I would say that's confirmation. I would say it's confirmation. You've heard me tell the story. I don't want to repeat it all today, but of just going out on a limb and before the church started and buying 200 chairs. And one of these very men who took me out to lunch, one of these very guys on a cold, blustery winter morning, as we unloaded those stacks of chairs and moved them into that little storefront, I remember having this knot in my stomach. This fear is what it was. God, will we ever need 200 chairs? That's a lot of will we ever need. Last weekend, we had 5,547 bodies in a building. We needed a little more than 200 chairs. Praise God. All I'm saying is, it's okay to ask for confirmations, but, but be careful about going crazy with the fleece thing, all right? Second, Gideon learned that God can do a lot with a little Gideon's got a big battle to fight here. So right off the bat, he gets 32,000 fighting men together. Now, that may sound like a lot to you, 32,000, but the enemy had 135,000. So the odds aren't very good. But God then says, Gideon got a problem. You got too many men. If they win, they're going to brag and think it's because of their ability. So you need to pare them down. Just Tell them everybody who's afraid or who just doesn't want to fight for some reason, go home. To Gideon's dismay, 22,000 soldiers go back home. Unbelievable. God said, Gideon, 10,000 is still too many. We need to pare this army down a little bit. If you win, they're going to take credit themselves. So I want you to take them down to the river to get a drink. And all those that get down on their hands and knees are going to put their head down in the water to drink. They're gone. They need to go home. They're not savvy enough. But those soldiers that cup the water in their hand and bring it so they can still see, those are the ones who are vigilant and alert. Let's keep those to Gideon's horror. Only 300 men drank the water that way. And God said, okay, 300 is enough. And now when they win, they're going to know it's because I've empowered them. So the Lord pairs it down from 32,000 to 300. Why? Because it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's how the victory is won. That night, Gideon's uh, still a bit nervous, even after the fleece and everything. And God says to him, look, if you're nervous about this, sneak into the enemy camp and listen to what they're saying. Gideon did. And he overheard a conversation between two soldiers. One of them said, look, I I just had a horrible dream. I saw this big loaf of bread tumble into our camp and just devastate us. The other said, that could be nothing more than the sword of Gideon and his army. They're going to overtake us. Their God has delivered us into their hands. And Gideon was reassured through what he heard. He knew that the enemy was afraid. So Gideon goes back to his camp, awakens the soldiers. Get up. God has given the Midianites into our hands this very night. And Gideon gave all 300 soldiers, check this for equipment. He gives them a trumpet a jar, and a torch. Judges 7, verse 17 reads, Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. 
When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Now get the setting. The numbers are 135,000 to 300. If you crunch the numbers, that's 450 to 1. Wow. 450 to 1. And your leader says, look, this is all you need. You need a horn to blow. You need a jar to shatter. You need a torch to shine. And you need a voice to shout. And they got to be thinking, has Gideon been smoking too much of this medical marijuana? I mean, what is going on with this dude? Why, has our leader gone crazy? Is he nuts? But Gideon is well on his way now to confidence with God. And I want you to know you can be too. Look, Gideon makes a bold move here. This is something military leaders should almost never do. But he splits up the 300. They're already small, but he, he, he sends 100 of them, goes down to where the campground ends, the other 200 encircle all the hills around. They light their torches, and all of a sudden they break their jars, and they shout, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And in the stillness of that night, God brings confusion. As these groggy Midianites begin to wake up, hear these trumpets blasting, they think we're overwhelmed, we're surrounded, we're done for. And in the confusion, they literally begin to fight each other. The Israelites claimed victory in the power of God's spirit with 300 men. Here's the lesson. God can do a lot with a little. God can do an awful lot with a little. As we wrap up today, I want to get very, very personal for these last few moments together. Can I ask you a personal question? Please don't blurt out your answer, but just kind of answer it in your mind. What are you really afraid of? What is it that comes to your mind when you think, about the future, about a situation you're in? What is your most common personal fear? I've developed a theory through the years as a pastor, and as I've heard many people share about their fears, I've come to believe that most people, wonderful Christian people, have one or two common recurring fears that just plague them. These are what I would call almost constitutional fears. I break fears into two kinds, situational fears and constitutional fears. Situational ones are clear enough. You're lost in the woods, you're afraid. You wonder, how am I gonna get it? That's situational. Constitutional is what I'm talking about. Now, fears that just kind of stick with us. One woman shared with me recently, Pastor Rex, I'm afraid of the C word. C, C word, what? Cancer. She said, my mom died of breast cancer. My sister's a survivor, but constantly has to be checked. I I, I live, I don't want to be obsessed with it, but I just think about it. Fear. A man recently shared with me, and I would assume this is pretty common. He said, Pastor, I, uh, 
boy, I'm very, very scared about the future. I'm a provider for my family and a primary provider. And uh, wow, I just know in this kind of economy and everything, I'm just afraid I'm going to lose my job and we're going to go into foreclosure with our house. I'm going to go through this disgrace of bankruptcy. And he said, I don't want to obsess over it. But every time my boss calls her, calls me into her office, I'm afraid she's going to tell me my days with this company are done. And I I, I don't want to be like that, but I just, I live in fear every single day. I had a dear teenager share with me recently. She said, um, you know, Pastor uh, Rex, I, uh, I'm just afraid there's nobody out there for me. She said, I didn't come from a tight, close-knit family, but I've seen a few of them and I just want nothing more, nothing dearer to my heart than just having a family of my own one day and just just living a great life with my family. But I'm just afraid there's nobody out there for me. What is is your fear? Can I tell you what Satan's going to do? He's going to take that fear and he's going to play that string over and over and over and over again until you feel like it's just beginning to wear you down. God specializes in turning fear into faith. He did it with Simon Peter. He did it with Moses. He did it with David. He did it here with Gideon. He can do it with you and with me. You know how many times the Bible gives that phrase, fear not, or do not be afraid, depending on your translation? That phrase, fear not or do not be afraid, appears, kind of cool, 365 times in the Bible. One for every day of the year. Several years ago, well-known Baptist preacher Charles Stanley said he was struggling with opposition in his church. His leadership was under attack and he was afraid. An elderly woman in the church invited him to her retirement community to have lunch And so even though he was stressed out, he decided to go. They had lunch together. After lunch, she said she invited me up uh, to her apartment, into the living room, just to show me a picture on the wall. He said it was a picture of Daniel in the lion's den. And she said, she was a lot older than him. She said, young man, young man, what do you see in that picture? And he tried to humor her sort of and start naming things he saw. I said, well, uh, it's, um, gee, it's kind of a big cave type thing. Um, uh, lions in there, uh, big lions. Um, uh, some of them are lying down. Some of them are standing up. Uh, he said, oh, well, I guess all their mouths are shut, aren't they? And, uh, and Daniel is standing there with his hands behind him. And he went on like that with these details. She said, anything else? He said, well, I'm sure she, she was thinking of something else, but I just couldn't think of anything else to say. And she said, what I want you to see young man in this picture, is that Daniel has his eyes not on the lions, but on the Lord. When God calls you to stand up and step out and do something significant for him, the biggest question you need to ask is, where are my eyes focused? Because if your eyes are focused on those lions, you're going to be frozen with fear. But if you focus on the faithfulness and glory of your great God, fear has a way of dissolving. 
And God can turn fear into faith. So what is it? What is it that you've been telling God you're scared to do? Acknowledge your own weakness. Break a destructive habit. Confront a loved one in love. Deal with the crushing load of debt in your life. Join a small group. Overcome that debilitating depression that's been plaguing you. Trust your job situation entirely to God. Trust God with your finances completely. Make Christ and his kingdom number one in your life. What is it? You've been saying, God, I'm just afraid. The question is, are your eyes on the lions or are they on the Lord? Father, this story from Gideon excites me, challenges me, and it pushes me to trust you more. Thank you for your call to follow closely in obedience. Thank you for what you teach us through this story of Gideon, a man who didn't have a lot of faith to begin with, but wow, how you taught him. Would you teach us, Lord? Because many of us like him, we're down in that wine press of life and we're not experiencing all that you have for us. Help us, oh God, help us to learn how to live in the victory that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.